The views expressed in this program are those of the participants and do not necessarily reflect the views of 94.9 CHRW. Well, we all had to abandon our dependence upon technology. Removing every trace of it, well, that made the transition easier. As an engineer, you must have had some problems with that. <sighs> well, I was the last convert. <laughs> but as time passed, I realized Elixis was right. She was helping us discover a new philosophy of life together. Because we needed one to survive. And I'll tell you, every one of us is better for it. We are more committed to each other. We are truly a part of each other's lives. We've renewed a sense of community that man left behind centuries ago. Joseph, Meg's fever's getting worse. Mets and this is Just Right on CHRW 94.9 FM where we will be with you from now until noon. No, no, not right wing. Just right. Fade into color and color into black and white Under the bedclothes Everything will be Welcome to the show today where 519-661-3600 is the line you can call in to speak to myself and a guest we're going to have for you. I'll introduce him in just a second. Uh, Basically, our theme today is cleaning up the environment with the new technologies of the future, and we'll be touching on some fascinating visions of the future. We'll be talking about things like net metering, uh, things about the green issues, and of course, alternate energy fuels. Got a couple of quotes for you. I want to start you off with that. Here's one for you. Quote, I believe that water will one day be employed as fuel, that hydrogen and oxygen will constitute it, used singly or together, will furnish an inexhaustible source of heat and light. End quote. And that was from Jules Verne's Mysterious Island. Here's a second quote for you. Hydrogen isn't an alternate fuel. It is the only fuel. End quote. And that second quote is from my guest today on the show. I'd like to introduce you to Andy Jansen, entrepreneur, inventor, and futurist, who is basically self-taught in science, chemistry, and physics, and I really feel out of my my element today. Welcome to the show, Andy. How are you? Well, I'm fine. Thank you. Well, uh, you know, I've talked to you. You've come. We've talked over the years. We've talked about a... A lot of things, and uh, just listening to you talk, uh, you, you know more about technology and physics and science than almost anybody I know. You've got a real general knowledge. Now, and you, you, you actually provided me with that Jules Verne quote, and I, th- I found it kind of challenging in a way. Because, you know, I never really thought about it before, and tell me if I'm way out of whack here somehow. Water, okay, it's composed of hydrogen and oxygen, right? Basically. Two units of hydrogen right. and one oxygen. Now... In that form, it's very wet. <laughs> it sustains our lives. You know, it, it can smother most fires, right? Yet, each of water's constituents, right, hydrogen and oxygen, when separated, in their own right, are extraordinarily explosive, aren't they? They're you know, combustible. The, o- the oxygen's an oxidizer. It will aid right. combustion. Okay, so it just aids? Yes. It's it's not a, it would not burn in and of itself? No. Then... So what is the danger when you hear about oxygen tanks blowing up? What is actually burning then? If, if something else is burning, the oxygen just accelerates the process. That's what it is. It's not the oxygen. Yes. Not, see, see how dumb I am already? <laughs> but, of course, hydrogen can be a very volatile 
substance, can it not? Yes, or? it can. And um, so, you know, is the energy then that we have in a uh, soon-to-be-banned bottle of water, is that literally energy? Yes, it is. It is. How, how does that work? Well, if you just uh, remove the two elements, you separate them, bottle them, uh, pressurize them, regulate them, put them through a regulating system, and feed them to whatever system you want to run, whether it's a fuel cell, internal combustion, uh, heating. Uh, you can actually uh, use it without producing a flame and still produce heat. Now, how, how is that done? How come we're not doing it if we can do it? <laughs> uh, it is, it's been around for several hundred years, but no one's really advanced the technology. There's uh, a number of metals that hydrogen can be injected upon, and it'll turn to superheated steam. Mm -hmm. uh, the uh, huge amounts of heat with uh, virtually uh, uh, no byproduct, unless you consider the water being a byproduct. So you have this uh, number of metals will work, uh, stainless steel being one. Uh, future uh, storage of hydrogen will probably have a stainless steel mesh surrounding it, so even a leak. Well, you know, that's interesting. Steam. Water as a byproduct of some process sounds like... Uh, that would end any any coming concerns about water shortages and things like that. Would Absolutely, I be correct. Perfectly distilled water. Well, listen. I know. I just want to tell the folks about this. You know, Andy's had a, a recent minor breakthrough after approaching the National Research Council and making applications through several <laughs> levels of bureaucrats. I guess he met a fellow named Don Houston up there, and he came here to the office. They have their offices here, apparently, at the University of Western Ontario Research and Development Park. But the actual facility, as I just found out, is in Sarnia. Is that right? That's correct. And um, But they uh, just looked at some of Andy's work, and here was what they said in their conclusion and summary. And this was from the conclusion, quote, The idea of hydrogen gas storage using concentric spheres is a novel and imaginative idea brought to the research park by Andy Jansen, an entrepreneur in London, Ontario. The concentric sphere model resulted in a 2.35-fold increase in gas storage capacity without rupture to the vessel. And in the summary it reads, quote, a novel hydrogen storage system using concentric steel spheres was proposed by research park client Andy Jansen. Elastic tensile and compressive hoop stresses in spherical pressure vessels were calculated to examine the validity of the concentric sphere hydrogen storage system. For the inner spheres, the tensile hoop stress created by internal pressure is perfectly cancelled by the compressive hoop stress created by the external pressure. In this way, the inner spheres can contain increasing pressure without encountering the elastic limit of the steel. Hydrogen is a wonderful fuel, but containment technology presents challenges. There is enormous energy required to compress the hydrogen amount to at least 10% of the hydrogen's combustion energy. Now, that's... Uh, I kind of think I know what some of that meant, but what, what, is, what is this actually telling us? I, this is really technical stuff, and you should see some of the papers on this. But um, what are, obviously storage of hydrogen is a big issue. It's, yeah, it's dangerous, right? Whenever you hear the critics of hydrogen, they say there is no storage capacity mm -hmm. or ability. This basically makes all their arguments null. Okay, can you give us some idea of how this works and why it works? Uh, it works very without well. giving away any secrets. <laughs> There's actually no patent on okay. this. Okay, yeah, well, I've actually, uh, they actually scrutinized it. There's no physical patent on this, mm -hmm. and if you can imagine, not a 10 percent or a 20 percent increase, but uh, 2.35. My own research with a little more complex version of this, which came is 235 percent, which is right? a lot. Yeah. and my own version came out to 5.56 times greater. Now, why did yours come that high and theirs come that low? I had a low? far more complex model. Okay. This was a rel relatively simple one because mm -hmm. of 
uh, they weren't, the NRC wasn't quite sure what they were dealing with here. Now, hydrogen, it kind of has a, I guess, a bad reputation in some ways. I mean, hydrogen is the stuff that the sun is made of, basically, isn't it? And my, that's how it starts, before it converts hydrogen to helium. Correct. And, uh, of course, hydrogen we, we associate with disasters like the Hindenburg. Is that, is, was I right? Is that what they use there? Yeah, but the beautiful thing, hydrogen uh, burns virtually transparent, except for a little tint of blue because of nitrogen in the air. But uh, the Hindenburg, it was the actual skin of the Hindenburg that was burning. It uh -huh. was doped with a number of elements, including um, aluminum, which, of course, is an oxidizer. So they they were just flying this bomb ready to go off any time. So what does this mean to the average person w when you're talking about the, these uh, this hyd hydrogen storage system and what's the application? I mean, we just heard, I just saw when was it a couple of weeks ago? I think I mentioned on the show one of the major car companies has already come out with uh, with a hydrogen car. Are, are, aren't you a little bit behind the eight ball on this one? <laughs> no, but if you take a look at the size of their storage facilities, I can. Get get it down in size, way down in size. Storage within the car itself. Oh mean? yeah, it'll be tucked away in the corner of the car somewhere, so you you don't have to sacrifice your entire trunk for hydrogen storage. Well, well how's that done? Like, how, how much energy are we talking about, and how long could you drive on? How how big would this thing look, uh, as you envisage it? Imagine something approximately the size of a propane tank on your barbecue, having the range and. Uh, uh, power of uh, a full tank of say uh, 20 gallons of gas in your car. So how would how would this come about? How, how, what do we have to do to do this? And what's uh, it'll take some funding to get this in production. Mm -hmm. I've actually met with a very interesting character who uh, does uh, propane tank production for special, particularly for the military. And he looked at it, and uh, he hadn't seen anything like this before. And he wanted to. He gave me a beautiful letter to pass on to. Uh, uh, any investors that uh, this was mm -hmm. the way to go. Now, when you're you're talking about, correct me if I'm wrong, you're talking about running um, this hydrogen energy on generally what we see, we already know as the the regular internal combustion engine. Oh yes, that's without the, having to redesign an engine or go electric or anything like the, that. The first versions of hydrogen powered cars will have little more regulated uh, or changed on them than the current cars that are powered by, say, propane or natural gas. The second generation will get a little more complicated. Uh, we'll uh, uh, be able to run several stages of turbochargers. Get the third and fourth generation. The steam, that's the exhaust, which is uh, superheated steam, will actually be used as the coolant in the water jackets. Later on, we'll add condensers, so no little plume of, of steam behind the car. And with the condensers, you're creating a vacuum, so the engine's exhausting into a vacuum, much like a jet engine is more efficient at high altitude when there's thin, thinner air to push against. No. You know, it's interesting because a lot of the new technologies boast that the only exhaust is water or steam and stuff like that, and yet that's the number one um, so-called uh, global warming gas, really. It's 97% compared to CO2, which is less than 1% or something like that, right? Now, isn't that sort of fly in the face of the whole green movement in a way, or how come they don't object to that kind of uh, global warming gases? Well, they haven't objected because it's just it's water. Okay. There, there's believed to be some trace amounts of other. It's not. It's not steam, then. It's just like it's. It's steam. It's water. It's uh, condensed water. Depending on the temperature, the length of your exhaust system, uh, the engine's uh, demands. Uh, you'll either have a little dribble following your car, or in the first generations, or a little plume of uh, steam. 
much like a car on a cold winter day when it first starts up with gas. Now, if we're carrying this hydrogen around in our trunk or something and we get in an accident, isn't that a very dangerous thing to do? Isn't that some of the, one of the things that's prevented us from doing this so far? Actually, the U.S. military experimented with uh, hydrogen tanks, and they took some Russian anti-tank shells, and they fired it through, them, through uh, vehicles with uh, intentions of hitting this uh, tank, and they found the shell would pass right through because a certain stronic values have to be met for the uh, oxygen and hydrogen to have ignition. So what you have is a stream of uh, hydrogen quickly escaping. It looks like a white column, um, a white column, and it quickly dissipates into the air, and since it's lighter than air, it rises up very quickly. And it doesn't explode? And, and no, it doesn't. What, what if it's exposed to flame or... Uh, it has to meet the stronic values. You have now, to have what, the right what, what does that mean, the stronic values? That's uh, obviously the, uh, a mathematical term or a physics term? Or? It's the ratio of oxygen to fuel with an ignition source. Now, for example, if gasoline in a normal car, as we have it today, if you threw a match in there, it would blow up, wouldn't it? Uh, you'd have to have the right oxygen. In, throw the, if you had enough air in there. If yeah. you had a ruptured fuel tank and you yeah. were able to... Uh, Start a fire under it, yes, you could ignite gasoline. So does it meet that uh, standard that you met, that yes, you I, talked about? Yes, I've uh, toyed in a couple of... So in a way, hydrogen's safer then? It will in, be. And the joy is it, it doesn't dribble downward onto a fire. It actually escapes upward into the atmosphere where it breaks down into, of all things, water. You know, it almost sounds a bit too good to, to be true. So are there other people besides yourself looking at this that you even know about? Uh, not that I know about. I know that there's enough going on that hydrogen is being recognized. It, it is the only alternative out there. And, well, I, I was looking at the, uh, okay, the, the the cars that I was just referring to. I think, I don't know if it was Honda or who, who came out with the hydrogen issue. Do they have the same thing that you're talking about in there that prevents, say, hydrogen from causing any problems on impact or anything like that? Well, the, Has that already been solved, that problem? There's a variety of ways of doing it. One is you put a, a, a final jacket around the tank and you put a vacuum into it. So the gas escapes into a vacuum and condenses. And another thing you do is you have a number of metals, stainless steel being one, where the hydrogen will instantly condense to water after jumping to a steam state. Mm -hmm. So it's, there are, and then if you have it escape externally, what the fire department would have in future would be the net equivalent of a very large stainless steel Brillo pad on the end of a pole. And if there was a leak, they'd push it up against wherever the leak was, and you'd have steam instead of hydrogen escaping. That's, that, you know, that's just amazing. That, that presents sort of a, a complete revolution that we're, that we're facing. Is that right? Well, I sort of studied the, the Luddites and what they criticize, mm -hmm. and I figured, okay, here's a way to solve this concern, this is a way to solve this concern, here's another way to solve this concern they have. I think I've got all their concerns resolved. And, um, you know, I, I'm just sitting here thinking, so the applications of this, now hydrogen, where would we get the hydrogen from? Do you get hydrogen, you go to the gas station and fill up, or how is that done? Well, the way I perceive it, which is a little different, is... Uh, I've taken what you think of as the photovoltaic, the solar panel, okay. and I've done something to it that will work, that you don't need to put the solar panel even outside. You'd store it in your attic. It would produce electricity. You'd be tied into your grid. You'd be tied... How, how does a solar panel produce electricity in an attic? Doesn't it need to be exposed to the sun? Not the way I'm doing it. You can still continue on the old way of exposing it, but there's another way of doing it because... Would it be called a solar panel then? Uh, we, we, whatever frequency it's operating in. Also, it could be operating on a different wave of light, is what you're saying. Yes. Okay, which would penetrate the roof. 
which would penetrate the whole house. Interesting. Wow. Uh, <laughs> so you d- wouldn't even have to put them on the roof because uh, it's interesting. I've got a... Uh, it, it, that's a great place to... We're going to take a break now just for a couple of seconds because we're going to come back because this very issue that Andy raised, I, I ran into something in the National Post, and we'll talk about that when we come back after this quick break. It's great. I, I haven't been anywhere. I haven't left the house in years. It's, uh, it's not my fault. I bought a computer. I spent the last three years trying to print out an envelope. <laughs> Oh, I can print out the fifth envelope like all of you. It's the first four I, I don't have a chance with. We need envelopes. How do you print it out? I don't know. Put it in. We'll try. Okay, go ahead. No, upside down. Try another one. Oh, on the back. No good. Backwards on the back. Okay, try a third one. On the flap and upside down. No, no good. Try a fourth one. Ooh, inside. It's inside. <laughs> put in a fifth one. Perfect. Okay, so that's it. How'd you do it? I don't remember. Okay, we'll put one in. No, that's no good. <laughs> what a time-saving device these turned out to be, eh? <laughs> How long does it take to look up a phone number in your little phone book? A second? Yeah. How long does it take to look up a phone number in your computer? The people are dead by the time you find their phone number. We used to be so worried that computers were going to replace us. They're not going to replace us, but they have become the people we would have had relationships with. I'm not married. I don't need a husband. I have a computer. I can have the same Sunday with that computer as if I was married. I wake up, I walk in that room, I ask it to do something, it tells me it's going to do it, I leave, I come back, it didn't do it. that makes me work my friend can't believe i pulled that out on tv all right well that's good you got to understand i got a lot of spare time on my hands okay folks i used to have a hobby but somebody invented call display so uh... imagine a lot of inventions have spoiled a few careers in the past welcome back to the show you're listening to just right on chrw i'm bob metz I'm enjo- and i'm joined in the studio by andy jansen entrepreneur inventor and all-around scientists, we're just talking about solar panels. And actually, I was going to save this almost for the end of the show, but when you brought it up, I just couldn't um, believe it because I, I ran into an article in the National Post by Lawrence Solomon, just dated uh, June 24th, just last week, actually. And, of course, he's the executive director of Energy Probe, and he wrote that, uh, quote, apparently you can go to YouTube and you can see a corporate video of a printing press running at 100 feet per minute applying a nanoparticle ink to foil and producing solar cells, okay? This machine is owned by Nano Solar Incorporated, which in turn is partly owned by Sergey Brin and Larry Page, the founders of Google. Maybe you should be giving them a call, Andy. <laughs> Tell them some of this stuff. Um, this one printing machine, Nano Solar claims, can produce solar cells with a capacity of 1,000 megawatts per year, the equivalent of a nuclear reactor at Indian Point outside Manhattan, or two nuclear reactors at Pickering outside of Toronto, with a capital cost a mere $1.65 million. And they say, put another way, we can wait 10 years to get nuclear power up and running, or by relying on a single nanosolar press, we can have the solar equivalent of a major nuclear plant in one year and the equivalent of 10 plants in a decade. 
Nanosolar panes could go on rooftops, but the company recommends against this. Now, this is funny. Uh, at least until building codes become flexible enough to accommodate panels without the need to battle municipal bureaucracies. In the meantime, it touts small municipal solar power plants uh, that can be set up and running one year on the outskirts of cities and towns where the land is readily available. Each would be between 2 megawatts to 10 megawatts in size, enough to power 1,000 to 5,000 homes. And uh, it says put one of these in several hundred cities, and nuclear plants worth of power would be delivered locally and decentralized without expensive transmission lines, etc., etc. And, of course, he concludes, clean, limitless power is now within our grasp, courtesy of those who have reached for the sun. Now, you were just talking about a solar panel that you put inside inside your home. So that wouldn't even be a problem. We wouldn't have to battle the municipalities to uh, to to do something to allow us to be energy sufficient at our own initiative, you know, without them telling us how to do it. Um, have you heard of this? Do you know anything about this? Uh, there's several. They've uh, done a number where they've actually, uh, in the states where it's more common, are these metal roofs, and they can actually adhere this thin plastic film onto the all-metal roofs. Are they doing this already? Yes, it already exists. It's a company in Florida, I believe, that does it. And uh, so there, so this company isn't the... What are they doing different? Did anything different in that article I read just now? No, it's, that's pretty well, uh, that pretty well sums it up. It's, uh, it's almost like a thin plastic film. I'm just wondering if maybe their innovation here is the way they that they produce the solar panels at low capital cost. I'm not sure. What They're going to look more and more like shingles. And okay. roofing is going to, of course, evolve... Um, but along the line of what you're talking about, there's a reference here that a, a 100 by 100 mile photovoltaic array in Nevada mm-hmm. would provide all the electrical power for the United States. So Nevada, oh. an empty desert, you can power all of the U.S. There'd be some problems feeding the grid to the East Coast, but mathematically it can be done. Right. I don't know that that would be the way they'd want to go, especially since you can decentralize and put these things anywhere. Uh, I, I would think in a day and age of uh, fears of terrorism and stuff like that, where they're worried about power being disrupted at certain sources, um, that an invention like this would make that almost a moot point, wouldn't it? Uh, I actually envisioned it uh, quite different. Right now you have a central point that distributes power uh, via wire to the uh, individual purchasers. I'm suggesting something a little closer to the Internet, where the house would provide the power and feed the grid locally. And ah, that, that I want to talk about. You're talking about net metering, right? Net metering. Yeah, we'll talk about that a little later. I got that scheduled for a little later in the show, because that's a spe- separate issue in and of itself, and I've got a couple other stories on that. Now, we were, uh, we were talking about, you know, there's another article here that just touched on, you know, just the problem, for example, that this company had with uh, having the battle of all things municipal bureaucracies just to put a solar panel on somebody's roof or something like that. Now, interestingly, the National Post ran an editorial as well called The Green Barrier to Innovation. And um, they were talking about all the, you know, alternative alternative energy fantasies of eco-entranced politicians, as they put it. And and, uh, the writer... Oh, no, it's it's just an editorial. I don't know who the writer is. It's the paper's editorial. So they're writing here. They say, uh, someday, no doubt, energy forms that are currently considered alternative, wind, solar, biofuel, nuclear, hydrogen cell, will be mainstays of the world economy. But which ones, for what purposes, and at what cost? For all the bluster of green-seduced leaders about how they're going to transition the industrialized world to a post-carbon future... 
through banning, capping, taxing, regulating, legislating, or subsidizing, the switch from fossil fuels to alternatives will be market-driven when it comes. Uh, more than likely, government intervention will delay the alternative energy future, since politicians and bureaucrats are typically lousy at picking winners and losers. Hoping legislators, rather than entrepreneurs, will lead us to a new economy is like putting the cart before the horse, end quote. And, of course, earlier this week, we learned that uh, Canada is doing very poorly in uh, innovation and technology. Apparently, we're 14th out of the top 17 countries, when normally we should be near the top. And... Um, of course, innovation, I think, above all, requires knowledge, capital, property rights, and profits, <laughs> all of which have been systematically eroded by uh, successive federal and provincial governments, and the Green Movement especially is opposed to these things. So, uh, you know, for those of you just tuning in now, my guest today is Andy Jansen, and he certainly fits into the first category of, of providing the knowledge, one of the first being, being one of those innovators that our society so badly needs. You, you told me an interesting story about your being self-taught. Everything you're telling me is all self-taught. And uh, how did you, be, you know, become so engrossed and interested in such highly te technical issues? Most people would not sit down and read the kind of technical man manuals that you would read, which I'll point out in a second. But how did that come to pass? It was kind of a sad story. You don't want to... Well... <laughs> well, okay, when I was a child, I was in a fatal car accident, and I was uh, disfigured, my head and face. Uh, I had a plate put in the uh, right side of my skull. Uh, I also suffered from severe speech impediments. Uh, I guess it was a class three stuttering. Mm -hmm. So I could find myself very happy in a book, and I could uh, devour books uh, rather than uh, uh, socialize because I'm sort of an outcast in the schoolyard with kids. Uh -huh. And so what would, what would attract you to all these technical books? Why, why weren't you reading comic books and, and uh, <laughs> you know, I don't know. I just, I just found a lot more interest in things that are real. And and uh, it's interesting because you know I'm looking at the level at which you operate. Okay, I was just look some of you. You showed me a couple of the pages that uh, were given back from the research park here. Now remember that there's no patent on that. No, I'm not going to. We talked about this earlier. Some things I can't read you because there's no patent. But there's just to give you an example. Um, can I read this equation here? Equation five. I don't even know what it means. Uh, P bracket A equals what is that thing there? <laughs> And you got P is the internal gas pressure in yeah. Pascals, um, N over M squared, A is the projected area of the sphere, and equals uh, pi R squared That's times right. M squared, right? R, R is the radius of the projected area to the inside wall, bracket M. Um, what is that symbol? Uh, it's QH. With, uh, QH? What does that mean? That's the hoop stress. That's the hoop stress. Wow, I don't even know these terms. Uh, it's the amount of uh, pressure you put against a wall yeah. in different places. But, uh, you know, that's just the level on, on which you're, you're talking here. And you've got these uh, formulas that yield, like 2H2O yields 2H2 plus O2 and all these complex things. Uh, to get into that level of uh, science, you must have, like, what motivated you? Did, you? did you, you know, you don't talk like most people. You know, you see something and you see just inventions and everything. For example, when you came in and you... You talked to our operator here, Taff, and you, you noticed his jacket. Tell, tell, tell everybody what you told him about his oh, jacket. There's one thing I've been dabbling with here. Um, I'm suggesting that all man-made objects, uh -huh. including materials, uh, it's possible to dope them with a, a fine uh, fiber optics to be doped with gallium and uh, soaked in lithium with a, with a fine uh, 
You're not giving away any patent secrets here. No, right this, <laughs> this actually is not, uh, this just hasn't been done. Uh -huh. I'm just taking basically a solar panel, and if you converted it into a liquid state, and you sprayed it on the surface of, say, a boat, or uh, you incorporated it into a fabric or a sail of a ship, and it would produce electricity. And inversely, you could put electricity back into it, and the material would glow. And, of course, you could later on choose colors you wanted it to glow in. And if you had a little jack on, your, uh, on the cuff of your coat, you could actually power a cell phone or a, a laptop or whatever. So your clothes could be powering all the little yes. devices you're carrying around. Yes. Now, now, what's actually going on in, uh, in any kind of substance, this, this coating? Like, what, what, what is actually producing the electricity? Well, is there some kind of chemical reaction? Is it's, it, uh, it's, it's basically, simply, you have a photon of light. It comes in. Well, that's simple, a, yeah. Okay. yeah I, I carry them around all the time. <laughs> it's everywhere. <laughs> Got one in my us. pocket, yeah. <laughs> a single photon of light will strike the material. It'll bump an electron off because they're unevenly spaced. And the electron goes, and it has to find its way around, and so it, you make it travel So you've got this free electron that, that's, that's been released. I kind of understand It attempts that. to ground itself now. Okay. So it, you have it pass through a filament of a bulb. No or, chance of electrocuting yourself with one of these coats or something? Well, no, you uh, wouldn't worry about the amperage. It's all about voltage. And you'd go through mm -hmm. a DC inverter because you can only store it as a battery in the DC current. So it's, it's really not that difficult. Think of a... If you could liquefy a... Uh, uh, a uh, solar panel and uh, spray it onto, you, onto yourself and be able to complete a circuit and basically produce enough electricity just by being outside or even the lights within this building. Uh, that's just amazing. I know you've got a ton of other ideas about all sorts of other potential inventions. We're going to get to them after this break because we've got to, oh, we'll be talking also about uh, net metering when we come back too. But uh, first we've got to take this break. It's the bottom of the hour. We'll be back after these messages. I'm not sure I see the connection. It's just that you never had much use for technology, did you? You won't give a millimeter, will you? Look at you, still in your uniform, wanting so badly to get back to your station with its artificial gravity and its sterilized air. You are so disconnected from your core identity, Ben. There is a better way. How can we help you see it? Perhaps good hard work is the answer. Give people a sustainable system of electricity, encourage more producers to come in, allow people to offset the cost of their bills by, uh, there's a thing called net metering. We can connect people right to the grid, and when they're not home, their windmills, their solar panels can be pushing electricity back into the bill, actually turning their electricity meters backward, deducting the cost from their bill. That's the kind of change we need. And this is established technology. Nobody's listening but Freedom Party. Instead, we have people who are giving the public public what they think they want to hear. Give me a price cap. I'm telling you right now, that's the road to catastrophe in Ontario's power system. Now, of course, was Freedom Party leader Paul McKeever way back in 2002 talking to Jim Chapman on his Cablecast show. And I remember Jim looking at him a little perplexed net metering. What is that about? Uh, it's interesting because, of course, successive governments 
beginning with Eves even at that time, uh, went in the complete opposite direction. And, uh, of course, we're now dealing with the issue of what they call smart meters being installed. And I just saw this article in the Free Press on May 24th by Rob Parker. Uh, smart meters can be smart option, it says. Risk of black or brownouts during peak hours can be reduced, it says. And he says installing smart meters will make consumers more conscious of how much electricity they use and when and reward them for using power used during off-peak times, he writes. And then he goes on to give us some examples of these meters, one of them being time-of-use meters, which records the total amount of electricity used during the billing period as well as the amount used during peak hours. There are interval meters, which records the amount of electricity used during shorter periods, like a one-hour interval and collects more data than the time of use meters. And from the interval meter, meter I guess they can transmit billing company information uh, to the company. And uh, basically the time of day, you know, the home, if you use that meter, the homeowners build at a higher rate for electricity you know, used, used during peak times and a lower rate uh, used during off-peak hours, end quote. Now, you know, I listen to this, and I know a lot of people hear it, and it all sounds very logical, but personally, I've always thought it was kind of stupid and unnecessary, and I, I've always called them stupid meters from day one, because yeah, we, we knew about this net metering thing quite a while ago, and you know quite a bit about it, too, Andy. We're, we're joined in studio here by Andy Jansen, who, if you've been listening, is uh, telling us a lot about what we can expect from our future technologies and what they will do to solve so, so many of the problems that we're, that we're facing. Um, you know, the meters they're talking about are all about rationing power. You're talking about producing it. Now, now net metering, has that ever happened? Does it exist? Is it real? It's in pockets in the states. Mm -hmm. uh, individual states, individual municipalities have different regulations and different uh, accountings for it. Some is just uh, uh, they will buy the electricity from you at what is their uh, wholesale price and sell it to your neighbor at what is the retail price. Mm -hmm. Um, there's, uh, there's nothing really standard. Canada's in patches of this. Um, the most logical thing is that a house would have a bi-directional meter and, uh, would, uh, use electricity off the grid as it needed it. Mm -hmm. And as the house produced electricity through any number of means, uh, that, uh, it would turn the meter backwards. Now... Okay, here's where I'm going to reveal a bit of my dumbness about how electricity works, okay? Doesn't electricity kind of just go one way down a wire? No. Is, is it, or can a pulse or what, what would we call it, a charge, can it travel, have, have two different ones on the same wire? Or, or how does that work? How can, how can you have electricity going in and out, if you know what I mean, along uh, the same transmission path? Uh, sure Something I don't easy. understand? Yeah, you're, it probably is. You're feeding a grid. Okay. And... Uh, the demand, where the demand for electricity is, that's where it goes, because electricity no, is... from the grid, but what about from your home? Like, I'm yes. thinking, if I'm producing electricity, is the line going to the grid from my, uh, say, solar panels a separate line than the line coming in from the no, grid? It would be the same line? It would be the same line. And so what would regulate uh, which direction it was flowing in? If, is it, am I even using the right term to talk about electricity that way? Uh, if you had, say, let's say you had wind generation, okay. and it was a nice windy night, and you had nothing going on in the house, no hydro being used, your meter would be spinning backwards, and you'd be feeding the grid. And the municipality or the, uh, the power company would be buying your electricity and locally distributing it to those locally who now, are using it. I'm thinking of that, too. Now, would we even really need a grid anymore? Everybody could be kind of independent if there was another way of storing the power 
in in the home itself. Uh, there are ways that uh, it, it, you have to store electricity in the DC current. Uh, uh, the house uses it course, yeah. in AC current, so you have an inverter between the two. Right. That's not a big deal. No, I, I know that uh, Canadian Tire already has those. They look like car batteries, but they convert the DC to the AC. Yeah, you when want. you plug in, you can plug your fridge in for a couple hours or something like that. Yes, but if you could imagine a, a grid and a power company that might have some uh, power plant, and they could uh, literally bring the power plant down to little or nothing at certain times, and say you've got a Sunday, a sunny, windy day, well, you could literally shut down your power plant because the houses are supplying all the neighbors' houses. Even if you had one house that was producing uh, enough for, say, three surrounding houses, uh, that's electricity that doesn't have to be produced with coal or natural gas or oil. You know, you, you almost see a danger in uh, people getting you know, kind of up on this thing and wanting to outproduce the other guy. Well, let them. Let them, yeah, but I'm just wondering, uh, how would that be done? What would be the best, again, like, like your solar panels you were talking about? Where they'd, I mean, you'd only have so much space in the home. You wouldn't want some guy to go nuts and violate property rights, putting panels all up and down his backyard, you know? I guess you could hang his laundry on them or something. Well, what's, <laughs> what's going to happen is panels will get cheaper and cheaper. There's nothing, mm -hmm. uh, no strategic materials. There's nothing uh, toxic. There's nothing uh, classified. There's nothing There's you, you know, we're talking sand. <laughs> but but, but and, Andy, if, if what you're saying is true, we are, as a society, investing billions and billions of dollars in these nuclear plants. Should we be doing that at this point? No, I would. Uh, what, would you, what you'd want to do is, if we were on the equivalent of wartime footing, would uh, just get into this to make our, this country could quickly become energy independent, uh, electrically independent, uh, power independent, converting electricity to water to hydrogen. Uh, running everything. Uh, the one group that's probably in most need of the hydrogen conversion is the trucking industry. 18-wheelers, big rigs. Mm -hmm. um, the beautiful thing about it is, much like the size of a house, they're carrying this 53-foot long. Uh, now, you're talking with, with the basic engines that they have now. Yes, thing, right? very little. But they're on diesel, right? They're on diesel. The only modification no. you make to a diesel is unless you can run up to as high as 28 to 1 compression ratio, you are not going to get compression ignition. So you'll require a spark. Okay. So you'll have to take the cylinder head off, drill it and tap it for a spark plug, and run an, a, a magneto system off of one of the camshafts, much like a gasoline engine. Mm -hmm. um, everything's there. The computers are there. And the beautiful thing is the injectors are there for direct injection of the hydrogen into the cylinder. So you're almost saying most of the technology is in place. Everything's in place. A lot of it is, particularly the stuff I'm dabbling in, is materials that are on the shelf but they were never intended for the energy or storage spectrum. So that's things I'd like to dabble in. Well, that, that, that's, that's fascinating. Listen, we're going to take another quick break for about a minute. And when we come back, because the time's really running, you're, you're surprising already. I know you've got a lot of concepts and ideas for other things we've talked about in terms of some of your visions of the future and what can actually, we, we, we might be seeing right around the corner. We're not talking 100 years from now, folks. We're talking... Uh, months, if, if not just a couple years. So we'll be back right after this. And a power failure. I hate power failures, eh? You always have to reset your clocks, and I, I can never synchronize them, eh? It's 10 o'clock in the den, you go to the bed, and you say clock to 10, but by that time it's 10.05 back in the den, you know? Then you have different time zones all over your house. You know, it's Monday night in the living room, but it's Tuesday morning in the bathroom. If I call Vancouver from the kitchen, it'll be cheaper. Like, <laughs>
Uh, speaking of being naked, though, I just found this out. 3M, the company that makes post-it notes, also makes breast implants. <laughs> you know, they'd have a really good product if they combined the two, wouldn't they? You guys wouldn't have any trouble remembering the chores on your to-do list if they're written on a breast. Way to stick a breast on the fridge with a note. <laughs> and we'd always know where to find you. Yeah, that'd be an invention. Are you working on that one yet, Andy? <laughs> um, with, all, with all this uh, innovation, where is the money coming from for this? Because it looks like our governments are pouring money into nuclear and things that might almost be obsolete by the time they get the investment uh, finished. Well, I've got uh, many years of letters from all kinds of branches of all kinds of government uh, telling me there is no funding. And why do they tell you that? I mean, if, do they just not believe your ideas would work, or...? Uh, one of the main excuses is, I am not a company. Okay. Maybe you should form one. <laughs> would, would that be the answer? Would that make them happy? Well, I think they probably have specifications for that, too. Well, yeah, I'm sure they would. So, so what, what does a person in your position do? What, what are you going to do to... Uh, because what do you do for a living? You work for the railway, right? Yes. And uh, so, and you run a farm, I understand. Yes. So you're you're a pretty busy guy outside of all of this stuff. Um, where would you, uh, if with government's not helping? Now you had a you had a bit of a breakthrough with this study here, that just came out of Sarnia here. Would that now not propel your ability to get money or look for funding or investors? I was really hoping so, yeah. but there's been nothing. I remembered. Uh, Prime Minister Harper had promised uh, $1.5 billion for research, and I applied for some of it, and apparently I don't qualify. What kind of people do, or do you know? It seems like industry. Industries? Uh, almost, sort of almost established technologies in some respects. Yes, eh? that would. And did you find that, do you know other people in your position that are doing similar things and finding similar experiences, or just you're on your own on this one? Um, I met an interesting fellow who in the 1960s did something with hydrogen, and he launched something from Grand Bend, which entered American airspace. And he, <laughs> uh, he was arrested for that. This okay. was in the 60s. Yeah. So hydrogen has a huge potential. Um, but... Uh, Hey, well, you know, all you can do do is hope you're running that person. Maybe we can be of help here, and somebody will hear what you're saying and want to look into some some of the things. Because you've been talking, let's talk about some of the things you envisaged. For example, you were talking about uh, how easily we could get rid of sewage and our garbage and almost do away with the whole concept of recycling that could be made well, I totally useless. What, what was that idea? You told me I could, almost couldn't believe what you're telling me. It just didn't, it just I couldn't believe it. <laughs> well, garbage is like a natural resource that we're paying to have trucked away and, and buried, which is so illogical. Uh, if you took garbage, shredded it up, uh, th there's been experimentation with this by shredding tires, and if you put it into a large uh, size of a railroad tank car, okay. sucked out all the oxygen, it has to be a totally oxygen-free environment, so vacuum almost. But oh, an absolute vacuum. Right. Um, and then uh, proceed it to heat it. And with a one-way ball check valve on the top, take the methane. The first thing that breaks up is the methane. Uh, methane, which, uh, oh, what's that? One carbon molecule and four hydrogen molecules comes off. And uh, you pipe it down to the bottom, compress it up a little, and you start heating the bottom of this tank. So, in a couple so the hours, methane that's actually being released from the tank is being used to heat it? Yes. And as you heat these substances in the absence of oxygen, they break down to their elements on the periodic table. 
So with a, looking at it through a spectrometer, you look at the heat now, radiated. I think there's something we, I forgot to mention. Or we, you're, you're actually talking not just about uh, you know, having recycled stuff that you put in. You're talking about everything. everything. Toss in your, your plastic, your paper, your uh, waste from the kitchen. Yes. Um, everything. Building materials. Building shingles, materials. Uh, waste, no, waste from the hospital. No recycling at all. Just put it all in the same container. Absolutely. Okay. That, that's an important thing. That's, so carry on. So you got this heat going. And yeah. And as it progressively heats, the heavier elements, uh, lead, gold, uh, iron, uh, sink and uh, as they sink they get closer to the bottom and transfer the heat up and as they do the lighter materials float on top of the heavier materials in liquid states so at the very top you'd have the methane which is coming off of uh, kitchen waste and broken down from all kinds of man-made materials uh, all kinds of organic materials and then uh, using the methane to run the system the top would be crude oil it'd be just this nicely refined like Pennsylvania sweet crude uh, you'd be you're, you're telling me once at the Hagersville fire, oh, when yes. that tire fire was burning? If, if you look at some of the footage, you have the firemen waiting mm -hmm. around in their uh, big boots there. And near the bottom, all the uh, tires have been burning. But at the bottom, there's this black fluid just flowing out. That's crude oil. Because the tires at the bottom, the heat has broken down the tires and converted them back to what they originally were, which is oil. And that literally could have been refined again? And yes. Oh, absolutely. All oil, it, it is perfectly... Uh, Recyclable. Well, Everything you know, we're paying up tire tire tax, aren't we still? Or did, have they dropped that yet? Uh, whatever happened to that? You'd think that would be going into something like this. You'd like to think so. I know people have experimented with shredded up uh, tires. And uh, you need something. It has to be done on a relatively large scale. And you might have several hundred of these uh, tank car or bigger sized devices. And you'd have them in a building, maybe set relatively low in the ground. And you'd be draining off everything from uh, molten lead to... Uh, uh, aluminum, lots of aluminum would come off. You'd drain it off into ingots and further processing it. A municipality, if they ran an operation like this, could just... Uh, now, you, you know, you make this all sound... like In principle, everything does sound simple because the technology is what makes it possible, right? Um, when I see... When, you, when I hear you talking about you've got this tank with all the... It's got a vacuum in it, and it's got to be hot in there, let's face it. Uh, I don't know what you'd make the tank out of to prevent it from becoming part of the... Uh, is there a specific substance that it has to be made out of? Uh, Thick-walled steel. And it wouldn't... Uh, no. Because, oh, because it's not in the vacuum. Right. It's ah, outside, so... Right. So how do you then get the separated materials that are in this tank? As they jump to a liquid state, yeah. they float. Okay, but and how do you get them out of there without... Well, you the, have to have some pretty fancy seals or something, wouldn't no. you? No. On the end of this tank car, it would have uh, it'd be suspended, and you'd be able to roll this thing to a certain level and you'd have a valve that you'd open up. And if you want to take off, say, the uh, molten lead, mm -hmm. or you want to take off the stuff at the very bottom, which, of course, would be the gold, the old shredded well, that would be Well, that would be a place I'd go first. Yeah. <laughs> but there'd also be silver. There'd be platinum. Yeah, yeah. All the materials that are thrown out and are lost virtually forever could now be recycled. I mean, all of them. Uh, the plastics turn to oil, because that's what they're made of. Tires turn to oil. Steels break down, and the aluminums break down. All the materials... Uh, break down to their position on the periodic table, and you just drain them off. Have you seen anything close to this being done anywhere? There, there was an article about they experimented it with shredded, shredded tires, but it was done on a relatively small scale. This is something that has to be done on a relatively large scale to work. Oh, yeah, because the volumes you're the dealing volume. with alone would be... Uh, now, how expensive would that be? I mean, it's easy to say technology can do this and that, but sometimes the cost of the technology 
uh, takes us through the roof, so to speak. Well, when they, once they start calculating the cost of burying it, the uh, the side effects, the uh, landfill, the the protest, who's going to get voted in for doing the wrong <laughs> well, thing? Well, that'll be a, a factor. But you, I, I'm not always too confident when politics is the reason for something happening. But it would. It sounds like it, in the long term, it would be something that would pay back on a capital investment. What I'm suspecting is in a few years they'll be excavating these landfill sites as a as a <laughs> as a resource as eh? a resource to be recycled. <laughs> well, there you go. Wow, we, it sounds like we've got a huge problem. We solved a huge problem for you here, folks. Now, was, is there anything else about that technology that we should know about? Or uh, about the only thing you would not want to put into it mm-hmm. is radioactive material. That's about okay, that might thing. be understandable. Yeah. That's, about, that's about the only thing you'd want to glean or make sure you had the detection devices, so that would be the one thing not to add to it. And where might that come from, from a regular societal source, other than, I mean, nuclear plants and stuff? But. Uh, the smoke detectors. Oh, I see. Yeah. yeah, little things like that. But there's instruments now that you could, uh, you could literally, uh, as you're shredding this up, you can glean out these certain items. Fascinating. In fact, the only item that wouldn't break down would be stuff like bricks and uh, bits of cement. But later on, you take those out anyhow, grind them up, and they become landfill in their own. Oh, man, that's just amazing. Now, I've talked to you about a lot. Of, we've only got about 10 minutes left, and I really wanted to get in a few other subjects, okay? You were talking. Uh, we had a long talk after my show last week. I, I, did a, I probably did two hours worth of a show with Andy, and we talked about so many things. You, you, you mentioned to me... Uh, you said we could make the Arctic pretty well self-sufficient for energy, uh, almost overnight, so to speak. But how, how, would, how would you envisage that happening? Well, one of my buddies is ex-Air Force, and he was saying with the C-130s, they fly these bladders of diesel fuel up all summer, mm-hmm. so they could burn them all winter in the generators to produce electricity up there. Right, so they're stocking up during the summer. and To fly it in. Right. And, but they have to fly in all this carbon-based fuel. My suggestion is, is the, at the C&E grounds, there's a wind generator there. There are places in the Arctic where the wind never stops. The, you can go back to the elders, and they'll say there's places that the wind just always is there. Mm-hmm. You erect one of those, and uh, other than some routine maintenance, uh, have it uh, you know, sent to all these different communities literally on three-phase wire. It's, it's not a big deal. And uh, they would be running year-round. Year-round, and uh, they could actually start exporting it at some point if they start running the wires south. So they could literally be energy independent. And instead of spending, let's just take the next, I don't know, pick a number, the next five years worth of uh, now, diesel fuel for there, and we'll put up a wind generator once. Mm-hmm. Now, now, realistically, I'm thinking, just from what you're telling me on the show so far, we're not really going to get rid of grid systems of per se, because really most of our stuff operates on alternate current, right? And yes. storage is a direct current issue, yes. and so there is an advantage to doing that. Is alternate current, I don't know, cheaper in a sense, or to produce? Well, or no, does beautiful, that... beautiful thing like Nikola's Tesla. Mm-hmm. Uh, beautiful thing about AC current goes great distances, while DC current has a relatively short range. Your car yeah, runs DC. Right. Uh, your house runs AC because it has to. It goes quite a distance. It's a. It's a matter of moving the energy through a wire. Mm-hmm. Now. With respect to these wind turbine, turbines and stuff, you told me something uh, bored from stealth oh, technology. Yes. Uh, what, was, um, what was the deal there? Because there have been problems with these wind turbines, too. Yeah, one of the complaints is they make too much noise. It's, it's, it's similar to a, a car passing by on the highway, some of these blades. 
the military, particularly the British, have experimented with something called ABC, which is the advanced blade concept, mm -hmm. which produces these so-called silent helicopters. And there's uh, some interesting video of a, a little Hughes helicopter literally landing with no noise. And it has something to do with the leading edge of these blades that uh, instead of losing energy by producing sound waves, you're actually nullifying the sound waves, so you're actually requiring less energy to spin the blades. Now, if we reverse the process and we use this advanced blade concept, we could have wind generators that are even more efficient. Why wouldn't they have been using them already? I think it's still classified. Uh, oh, oh, that's the, I see. Because, you know, one of the things that, I think one of the first questions that comes into anybody's mind when they hear about new inventions and new technologies that sound so great, the first question to me is always, well, why aren't we doing it already? Is there a, you know, general answer to that general question in, in the main? You know, I know specifically there might be details, but... Uh, one one always wonders that if these ideas are quote so good, why why aren't they more in practice, or is it just that they're so new yet? I think it's probably human nature. The one thing we all seem to resent is change, and we all seem to resent it. But yet, it's the only great certainty in life is change, mm -hmm. and uh, people become comfortable with the way things are done, and they're almost reluctant to actually use a better system. And until the better system basically overcomes... Well, you know, it almost sounds like in today's environment you'd think they were very eager to use some yes, of these things. Yes, I think right now a whole number of conditions have, uh, are occurring here right. now simultaneously that will make this technology look very attractive. Well, maybe there, maybe we could say something good about the green movement in that sense. Now, you're, you're talking about, uh, oh, man, time's flying. You're talking about other things we're going to see in the future, like uh, when you open your car, your dashboard, or oh. your, what, what is that again? Oh, we're going to, yeah. we're going to have uh, the interior of your car, yeah. and subsequently the exterior of your car will be absorbing photons of light and converting it to electricity to store in either your own battery system or uh, using a DC system to crack water you're storing on board, uh, which is a form of electrolysis, to um, uh, produce hydrogen that you'll store in your own tank while your car's sitting in the sunshine there, a little more than adding a garden hose to it. And, now, uh, wait, wait a minute. You're saying that <laughs> the skin of the car will be the source of the energy to produce the hydrogen that fills your tank? Uh, or where, some of it? <laughs> where these solar panels are actually a stiff 4x8 uh, sheet, so they'll actually be, you'll spray them on, and you'll complete a circuit. So you can also do this to fabrics. So the interior of your car will also generate electricity. And subsequently, you can reverse the process. And because you're, uh, one thing I'll be using is like fiber optics in lieu of uh, uh, glass matrix, as you see in uh, uh, photovoltaic, that uh, with fiber optics, you can actually have a fabric that you can reverse the process and it'll glow. And you can choose the color. Think of a mood ring you wear, but it's actually producing a, a current. Right. Well, that, that, that's amazing because, um, so you also said that if you opened your door, your your dash wouldn't light up anymore? No, you, your, your, your interior would light up. The, the whole interior. The material would glow. So your, your seats would glow, yes. your, your ceiling would glow. Even if you had a leather interior, because it would be an expensive option, you'd, even where it was stitched together, the stitches would glow. Really? Well, think about it. It's, uh, it's uh, well. It sounds it sounds very futuristic. I, you know, it sounds like something out of total science fiction. I can't believe we're running out of time here. We've got about one minute left. You you had an interesting thought going on to a whole other subject. Now, you said th that you'd like to see the formation of a zero emission racing organization, yeah. which was an interesting concept. And I said, why why would you want to do that? <laughs> Code name was zero zero yeah. emission racing organization. Yeah. You get universities or groups, and they would basically 
let's just say in the drag racing spectrum, and they would race, you figure on what, uh, uh, 20 events during the year, mm -hmm. uh, so much, so many points for winning, and then a handicap of points for the least efficient way of generating the uh, power. So if they're, you know, have a small carbon footprint versus a uh, completely uh, free energy source. Amazing. And, and uh, so you're talking, uh, you know, uh, basically uh, a whole new technology. You said, you said you also said people at racing things share their technologies yes. a little bit more than a lot of companies do. Andy, you aren't going to believe this. We're out of time. And we have to leave it there, folks. Until next week, we hope you can join us again on our journey in the right direction. Until then, be right, do right, stay right, act right, and think right. Take care. Fade into color, color into black and white. Under the bedclothes, everything will be alright. My dad comes over to help me build a deck in the back of the house. We're not very handy with tools, alright? Like a level would have been a good purchase, alright? Just, uh... <laughs> This deck is very slanted. You should see this deck. It's, there are no stairs on this deck, all right? It's, just, it's wheelchair accessible, all right? So it's not, and it's a foot from the house. So a level and a tape measure, good tools to have. So.